Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In our ongoing study to understand what Jesus really hates. In other words, what Jesus and the Bible describe as sin. We need to look at sin that goes way beyond murder and stealing. I mean, we often rationalize and think that, well, I haven't murdered anybody and I don't steal, so I'm a pretty good person and I'm I'm all set. Well, we need to understand what Scripture says, and Scripture makes it abundantly clear that there is no real worse sin than the other. Sin is sin. So in other words, you either sin or you don't. The degree of the sin doesn't matter. It is simply about the sinning. So we need to understand that. And what we need to understand is just because you haven't done any of what we think are bad sins doesn't mean that by definition you are a good person. And besides that, goodness really has nothing to do with it. Goodness is not the basis of our salvation. Believing in Jesus and obeying Him is. Yes, if you're obeying Jesus, you're going to be good. You're going to be doing good things for sure. But we need to understand that we're not saved because we're good. We're saved because we believe in the one and obey the one who is good, Jesus. My point is there are lots of sins that we need to be concerned with. So absolutely don't murder, don't steal. Anybody murder anybody lately? No? Okay. Didn't read much in the paper, so we're, we're probably good. But you see, it's not that bad. We don't have to be sinning like that to still be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. So in particular today, we want to focus on the sins of complaining and gossiping. Now, complaining and gossiping compared to murder don't sound that bad, do they? But you won't believe what Scripture teaches us. Because according to the biblical testimony, these two things, complaining and gossiping, will keep you out of heaven just as really as murder will. Because God doesn't like complainers. He doesn't. He's not a fan. In the New Testament letter of Jude, complainers are actually listed among those who will not make it to heaven. That's the word that's used. Along with murder. Complainers. Don't make it. In the Old Testament, God actually used complaining as the example of those who will not make it to heaven. Now, hopefully you're familiar with the Old Testament story of the Exodus. You know, Moses and let my people go and all that parting of the Red Sea. Now, absolutely incredible story. These people, these God's people, the ancient Israelites, got to witness 10 of the most incredible miracles ever. I mean, just unbelievable miracles. And then when it was all said and done, Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. I'm tired of you people. Leave. Well, then Pharaoh changes his mind. And gets his army and goes after the Israelites. But now the Israelites are trapped. The Red Sea is in front of them. They can't cross. And here comes the army from the other side. There is nowhere for them to go. What do they do? God opens the sea. And they literally walk across the entire seabed on dry land. It's not even muddy. It's dry land. They walk across 
They get the whole way across and then Pharaoh's army comes chasing them right through the same path that they went. But God says, well, I'm getting tired of holding that water up. So he just let all the water come crashing down and wiped out the entire Egyptian army. Yay! Now, you would think after seeing 10 miracles and seeing the Red Sea parted, these would be people who get it. These would be people who, who witness the power of God. And these are people who say, I trust in God because He has taken care of us like nobody else ever could. This is absolutely incredible. You would think those people would do that, wouldn't you? Not so much so. The water no sooner comes down on the, on the Egyptian army and wipes them out. And almost immediately... The whining and complaining starts. I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. I'm hungry. My tummy hurts. I'm hungry. <laughs> and it starts. And it continues. God provides water for them. He provides food for them. But the complaining continues. The complaining continues. The complaining continues until God finally says, That's it. I'm done with you people. Now this is critical because you would think that Moses as the leader would have looked at this people complaining and says, now wait a minute. Didn't we just see incredible miracles from God? Are you not convinced yet of God's faithfulness to us and how he will take care of us and provide for us? Unfortunately, Moses didn't say that. And so the people continue in their whining, their complaining. And God finally said, you guys do not get to go to the promised land. I had it all ready for you, but you don't get to go. You don't get that blessing. In fact, you guys are just going to wander around for the next 40 years until you're all dead. Until every last one of you dies. Your children, they're the ones who get to go. But you who walk through the Red Sea don't get to go. I can't stand you people anymore. Your complaining is driving me nuts. God was willing to wait for an entire generation to then give them the promised land. Now, that's pretty bad, right? But even worse is the fact that God said the same thing to Moses. You don't get to enter the promised land either because you didn't take control of my people. You didn't get them to stop their whining and complaining. Now, I take this very seriously because in this little story, I see myself as Moses, the one who leads. And you'll never guess who you are. The whining Israelites. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, we have recently gone through what I would describe as one of those wilderness experiences. We went for three months away from our sanctuary. That was a long time, wasn't it? And in three months, boy, oh boy, do you people complain a lot. My gosh! I seriously began to think that God was going to say the same thing to us. You are not worthy to get back in your own sanctuary. You're all going to die and maybe the next generation will be ready. I was just waiting to get that telegram from heaven. You see, all that complaining of these Jews prevented Moses from entering the promised land. So as your pastor, I need to tell you this. I will not allow your complaining to prevent me from getting to the promised land. Complaining is so detestable to God because it doesn't resolve anything. Complainers never go to the person that can actually help find the answer to come to some resolution of the problem. 
They just complain to everybody else but the person who can actually fix the problem. And Jesus hates that. Jesus hates that because it keeps us from truly being the body of Christ in this community. Scripture says repeatedly that we, we, we must encourage one another. Well, complaining isn't encouraging one another. Complaining is discouraging each other. So hear God's word clearly. If you complain to someone else, anyone else about whatever the issue is, if I'm the one who can solve the problem, you need to come to me. If Rod is the one, you need to go to him. If somebody on the board is, is one, you go to, go to that person on the board. If, if it's somebody on staff, you go to that person. But you find the person who can resolve your issue and go talk to that person specifically. If you don't do that and you talk to others about the problem, you are sinning. That's what it says. You are guilty of sin because you have chosen not to go to the proper person to achieve a resolution of the problem. It is destructive for relationships and it is way destructive to the body of Christ. Now, here's one of many examples I can give you that we've experienced over these past months. A few weeks ago, we experienced a weird electrical glitch. It was here in this service. Rod sat down to the organ, hit go, nothing happened. It was a strange, you know, pulsing in the, in, in the lights. No one came to me and asked, what was that all about? No one went to Rod and asked, what's that all about? But days later, we came to realize that there was a rumor floating around the church that apparently based on fact that we had hired for the renovation project some low-life electricians who had no idea what they were doing and put shoddy wiring in and the whole church is going to burn down within the next day or two. And people talk that to be fact. But I better not go to church, it might burn down. The truth of the matter is it had nothing to do with the renovation project. It was something outside with Penelec. And just unfortunately, coincidentally, it happened on that Sunday right after the renovation project. And it was just something completely removed. Just a random thing that happened. Penelec was here the next day, fixed it. Oregon works. No big deal. But wouldn't it have been nice to ask somebody who could actually give you an answer? Rather than run rampant with rumors. In fact, throughout the entire renovation project, no one came to me and ever asked a question. Well, I got lots of questions. Second hand, third hand, tenth hand. After they floated around and everybody got all up and uproar about things that were absolutely positively not true, that would have been so much easier to just come to me or come to Rod and ask a simple question. With the ancient Israelites, there's no food, there's no water. Wouldn't it have been nice if somebody, somebody had asked God for a little help? Wouldn't that have been awesome? Go directly to the one who can help you. Go to God. He's the one who's been taking care of all, your, all along. Wouldn't that have been nice? Nobody does it. They just complain to Moses and Moses tolerates it. So God said, I'm done with you people. Let's see how the next generation will go. And that's what we find in that passage from Joshua. 
See, Moses, he's gone. Joshua now is the new leader that will lead God's people into the promised land. And so he says to them, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Because your forefathers, your parents, were terrible at that. They did not trust God. They had no faith. They were unwilling to serve Him. You need to do that. God requires His people to do that. Throughout the whole renovation project, there was a lot of complaining. I hear about it secondhand. Now, it's really troubling because most of those issues complained about were issues that did have a ready answer available for you. But instead of coming to me or coming to Rod and asking the question, like, why is this being done this way? Too many people just ran their mouths around the church by complaining. Now, hear me clearly. What I say about complaining does not mean you can never say anything or ask a question around here. That's not the issue. The issue is the person to whom you are addressing your comment or your question. You have to go to the right person. Otherwise, it is classified as complaining or gossip. Go to the person who can help you resolve the issue. Gossip and complaining are very, very similar. Actually, gossip appears to be, in, in the Bible, even worse. It appears more times in the list of people who are hell-bound than just about any other sin. Again, the issue is talking to the wrong person. Talking to the wrong person does not get you the results you want, and it becomes a sin then because it diminishes the body of Christ. Now, no one can force you to complain or gossip. We can't force you to do that. So this must be a choice too many of us are making. But we do so with the full knowledge that we're sinning. And to that I say, stop it. Stop it now. If you have something to say about me, then come to me. And let's talk about it. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. But more importantly, it'll give us an opportunity to dialogue. To come to some resolution. Now, here's what I've, I've discovered over the years. There are some things that I'm just unaware of. But when somebody comes to me and makes me aware of it, something I should be doing, something I, I, I did that I shouldn't have done, whatever the case may be, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. I look at that person and, and say, thank you. I, did, I wasn't aware of that. You helped me to understand something I need to know. And that pretty much solves the problem, doesn't it? I'm going to start doing it. See how easy. In the New Testament book of James, he knows the danger of the tongue. And that's why he says that all Christians, not just Good Christians or bad Christians, all Christians need to keep a tight rein on your tongue. In fact, it goes as far as to say, if you do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, your faith is worthless. It's worthless. Allowing yourself to complain and gossip 
That in and of itself, even if you are a perfect Christian in every other way, complaining or gossiping will short-circuit your entire faith and render it worthless. In other words, you don't get to go to heaven. That's how serious this is. James says that if you're willing to hear, hear the word of God and then do it, you're going to be blessed. But if you fail to accept that truth, it will result in a curse from God, just like the ancient Israelites. So what do we do? Let's do it the way Jesus says to do it. Jesus knows we're going to have some issues. Relationships always have issues. So in Matthew 18, he gives us the prescription. He gives us the exact formula of what we are to do. And it starts with, go to the person you have the problem with. So let's just use me as the example. I'm, I'm the guy walking around with a bullseye on my back all the time. Anyway, let's just use me as the example. Let's say you have a problem with me. Now, I know, take a breath, it's hard to imagine. But let's just, let's just hypothetically imagine that you have a problem with me. What should you do? Jesus says, step one. Come to me directly. Now, again, hypothetically, let's say I'm a real jerk and I refuse to listen to what you have to say. Are you done? No. Jesus then says, step two. Go find another person or two and bring that person or two along with you. Make another appointment with me. Sit down and maybe, just maybe, I will listen to the testimony of two or three people. But we're not done yet. If that doesn't work, step one, then step two, then there's step three. That's when then you go to PPR or the board. That pastor's a jerk. Then and only then do you go that route. For far too many years, we've had far too many occasions that people here in the church have bypassed step one and step two and gone immediately to step three. Jesus has the plan. And it's a great plan. We can work out our issues very quickly and efficiently if we will follow the biblical formula. Failure to follow this clear teaching of Jesus results in a detriment in our relationship and a detriment to the entire church. Now, I'm not done yet. Just getting wound up. I need to say at least one more thing. People in churches whine and complain and gossip because they want something done the way they want it done. And that, my friends, if we can classify sins as better or worse, according to Jesus, that would be the worst sin possible. Wanting what I want here in the body of Christ. Here's the truth. This is your church. No two ways about it. But your church was never intended, was never designed by Jesus himself to run for your comfort nor your benefit. Jesus makes it abundantly clear what his mission was. And it boils down to just a few words. I have come to seek and save the lost. That's it. That's the whole purpose of Jesus. His mission statement. I came to seek and save the lost. Now, if that were Jesus' mission statement, we are his body here on earth, do you think? Maybe, just maybe. That should be our mission statement as well. That should be who we are, first and foremost. 
You see, Jesus' mission was not designed to create a comfortable church for you. And for you to get everything you want. Instead, Jesus created BUMC so that our first calling would be the same as that of Jesus. That we would create an environment here that is so enticing to persons who are still lost out there. Complaining and gossiping are so destructive in the life of the church because complaining and gossiping is another sin listed in the Bible as being selfish. I'm mad because I'm not getting what I want and forgetting the needs of them out there. This is serious stuff. Do you recall the story Jesus tells about the shepherd who had a hundred sheep? By the way, the shepherd is Jesus. One of the sheep gets lost. What does he do? Say, I still got 99. My purpose now is to make you 99 really, really comfortable. Is that what he says? No. He says, you guys are assured of your salvation. There's 99. You can take care of yourselves for a little while. I need to go find the lost one. And he does. And he comes back. But the 99 were fine for that short time. You see, Jesus is willing to make a choice. Given the comfort of the 99 or the needs of the one who was lost, he has to make a choice. You can't do both. Jesus chooses to go after the, the one that is lost. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. In other words, to find the lost and usher them into the kingdom. The Great Commission is not, ah, just sit there and, and expect your pastor and staff to give you everything you want. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a call to each and every one of us to get out of our comfort and go find the lost. Now, as a pastor and staff, it is not our purpose to irritate you as much as we possibly can. But it is not our purpose as well to make you so comfortable and complacent that we all forget what the number one calling is that we have in this world. If we claim to be Christian, then we must be Christ-like. And that means we will choose what Jesus says is the most important thing. We have needs here. No two ways about it. But there's a need out there as well. What shall we choose? You see, you can only have one most important thing. Is our choice going to be, I want this church the way I want it, I want to sing the hymns I want, and the preacher better not ever say anything that irritates me, and la da 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 and just make our list of everything that we demand from this church, or I'm walking. Or are we willing to look through the eyes of Jesus and see that there are thousands of people right here in Bedford County who are still lost. Are we going to get upset about the color of the walls? Or are we going to get upset about thousands of people who have not yet found Jesus? You see, we're here today because we say that we have found Jesus. Or Jesus has found us, however you want to look at it. But we have a relationship with Jesus. So do we 
just do things for ourselves? Or are we willing to see the need out there? See, what I am trying to create here is the environment, is the atmosphere that one of the lost, when they walk through our front doors, when they walk into the sanctuary, that they will sit down, they will begin to experience worship, and they will, they will sigh. Oh, these people were thinking of me before I even got here. As opposed to the stranger walking in and now I have to fit into this, this box that these people have created for me. They don't like that out there. They will come once and they won't be back. We have to be mindful of their needs out there. So here's the deal. This is what we are going to do starting today. Stop complaining and gossiping. Stop being selfish and thinking that this church is just here for you. Stop being like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. That after the prodigal comes back, the father embraces him and throws a big party for him, but the older brother refuses to come in. Because he threw away all his, his, his livelihood and his life, and, but the father still loved him. We re, he resented that. Stop being like that. Stop being selfish. We can no longer deceive ourselves into thinking that since Jesus has found us, that that's all we need. Since he found us, he's going to take real good care of us. Instead, be like Jesus. Jesus who does want to bless us who are found, but Jesus who now is mindful of the need of the lost. Now hear me clearly. If we throw down the gauntlet of challenge before Jesus and say, all right, Jesus, pick me or pick them. Jesus will pick them. I guarantee it. He has already declared that is my most important mission. Which means I guess we're second. Not bad. Still in the running. But now we must do what Jesus himself would do. Jesus who came to save the whole world. So if we're here claiming the assurance of our salvation today, then Jesus is saying to us that now it is our responsibility to build the kingdom. Who's more important? Our needs, our wants, our whining and fussing, or the needs of the lost? I know it sounds kind of harsh, but you can only have one most important thing. We have to decide right here, right now, what the most important thing is. We can only conclude that Jesus himself identifies the mission of seeking and saving the lost as the most important thing. We have no choice but to agree with him. So if you're really assured of your salvation, there's no reason for gossiping and complaining. There's no reason to be like those ancient Jews that God gave up on. Don't make God bypass our generation because we're just a bunch of selfish, childish people who throw temper tantrums when we don't get our own way. Try living the way Jesus says we must live. That we are living assured of our salvation. We are living confident in our hope. And we are trusting in God to provide for us what we need. Not what we want. You're going to be a whole lot happier. This church is going to be a whole lot more effective. And then we're going to do an incredible job at the one thing Jesus says we have to get right. 
seeking and saving the lost. So look at the big picture from God's perspective. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be willing to make a few sacrifices along the way for those people out there who aren't here yet. That we will create a place for them before they even arrive. It's not the way we like it. It's the way they need it to be. We'll be willing to change our lives and change our church and truly become the body of Jesus Christ. For He is our Lord and He is our Savior. May God so bless and keep us. Amen. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.